I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the Billboard Charpy Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey guys, Trevor Anderson, uh, chart manager here at Billboard. And Billboard's New York offices. And this is where we look at why what's on the charts is on the charts. So uh, lots to get to this week. Uh, Sam Smith is back. A big debut on the Hot 100 this week at number five with Too Good at Goodbyes. Uh, it's the first single from his second album. And uh, actually got to see Sam in concert uh, last week here in New York. So I got some details about uh, how the show went. And we'll look at a few acts uh, like Sam that uh, recently had uh, huge debut albums and then how they feared uh, the second time out. Uh, get a gauge of uh, what might be next for Sam if he's uh, hopefully going to keep uh, continuing home run of hits. So uh, we'll look at that. Uh, plus, this week, a great industry insider interview. Uh, we're going back to Nashville uh, for our latest uh, artist and record executive shared interview. Uh, this time, Billboard uh, Senior Chart Manager Jim Asker chats with Ray Lynn, who uh, recently debuted at number one on the Top Country Albums chart, uh, along with chairman and CEO of Warner Music Nashville, John Esposito. So uh, just like we've had recent uh, interviews with uh, Jim, with uh, Luke Bryan, Marin Morris, and their respective uh, label executives. This is another good one. And uh, we get into a little bit, too, of the uh, lack of women at country uh, uh, on the country charts in recent times. So they both have opinions about that. So that's coming up as uh, the main interview this week here on the podcast. But uh, before we go, we'll also flash back to when, Trevor? <laughs> I'll let you talk now. Whew! And we'll take a trip back to 1972, in particular, uh, due to some current events that will be happening. So we'll, we're going to tie a little bit of history into uh, something that I'm sure many people have seen on the news, all the social media feeds, a particular phrase that's going around. Also, the name of a very, very popular song from back in the day. So we'll revisit that chart trajectory and uh, take a look at that. Trajectory. I think that's a clue. That It, uh, it, it helps. It does help. Yeah. Let's uh, look at this week's top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. There's nothing holding me back. Number 9. 
seven. Number five. Number four. Number three. Number two. I don't dance now, I make money move. Say I don't gotta dance, I make money move. If I see you now speak, that means I don't fuck with you. I'm a boss who I work a bit. And number one. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. And bringing us out number one once again for a third week, we got Taylor Swift's Look What You Made Me Do. Uh, right behind her, Cardi B once again holding strong in the runner-up spot with Bodak Yellow, Money Moves, so the song. Uh, and a lot of people have been watching this, kind of hoping it would go to number one. A lot of social media fans out there. Uh, number two for right now, knocking on the door. We can talk a little bit um, in a few minutes about what the projections for next week could look like. Also, heating up in the race, you've got the Ascendance of Logic at number three with uh, 1-800-273-8255 which features Alessia Cara and Khalid. So, which is really, as we've talked a couple times on the podcast, blown up in particular after the VMA's performance right. at the end of August. Um, so that song making nice gains and also, you know, just two spots from the top spot. So pretty, pretty interesting race heating up at, yeah, and, and, in post Despacito world. Right. And if you look at the, the numbers, uh, Taylor Swift's uh, Look What You Made Me Do is down 31% in overall points this week. Uh, Bodak Yellow is down too. It's down 11%. So it, it closes the gap, but they're both down. Uh, and uh, Logic Song is up uh, 3%. So that's the one that's uh, gaining uh, of the three of them. So yeah, next week we, we could uh, have maybe a tighter race among the three of them. Although uh, actually maybe there's another song that we need to be uh, thinking about for next week. Yeah, and this particular song I think came kind of came out of nowhere it seems like a dark horse instantly for for uh potentially you know a top 10 maybe maybe as far as number one quickly I'm talking about the Post Malone 21 Savage collaboration Rockstar which just came out last Friday September 15th um the song instantly big reception has been number one on iTunes um all the way since that Friday into this recording on Tuesday also holding strong, uh, I think every day since as well, at number one on the U.S. Spotify, pulling around two million streams a day. Right. Uh, the Logic song in second place on that count with about 1.3, so it just kind of shows you the gap there as well. And I mean, for two, you know, for two star- people who who are hard hit makers, you know, Post Malone's been in the top ten of the top 100. Um, with congratulations, just this past year, 21 Savage. But for two guys who aren't sort of superstars to have this kind of instant reception, that's that's interesting, you know. What do you think of the song? Uh, I like it. I mean, I, I do, I do, I think it's really catchy. I think it's, it's, I mean, it's got this, the, the, um, it's almost like not a, I can't even describe like the word of the element that I think that works so well for it. Like trap, I think is too, 
is such an overused word at this point. Like everything, oh, everything's kind of trappy. You know, Bodak Yellow's trappy. This is all trappy. But there's something kind of, um, kind of song you could just like put on. Right. Like you know, it's 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 low key enough. Feels good. Not you know, it just has that same kind of sound that Migos and and so many other acts have really captured this year. Yeah, we'll be sure to watch uh, for that one. Yeah, we're still getting actually numbers, uh, projections of what it could sell, what it could stream. So we'll have a little bit uh, better idea. But yeah, Monday, we'll find out uh, where it debuts. Uh, but flipping back to this week, we'll talk about the big debut happening right now. We've got Sam Smith at number five, debuting with Too Good at Goodbyes. Uh, as Gary mentioned earlier, the first single from Sam's second album. Right. Which I think people may also kind of forget that, you know, Sam Smith has been gone in some ways longer than Taylor Swift. It feels like I mean that was that was 2014 when that when Stay with Me blew up and right. and kind of carried through to the end of the fall and you know he had the Grammys and the the song from James Bond the next year but in terms of an album I mean right. it's been it's been quite a while between these two Sam Smith albums and, and a little different from Taylor because she was so established at this point that it's Sam Smith's debut album so to go that long between the first and second album yeah, you kind of risk maybe uh, a new audience comes in and they don't quite uh, know who he is but uh, so I went to the show I saw him he played at Mercury Lounge last week um, from the beginning you could tell people had not forgotten about Sam Smith it, it was really cool he came out he started doing Lay Me Down on the very first line of the song people were singing along so fully and so loudly and I, I think just by his reaction he, he was kind of surprised by that and in a really humble genuine way I don't think he expected everyone to be singing with him right from the start so I think he really uh, hit him that he was really happy that, that people uh, were with him still after this delay yeah, I'm, I mean, I can imagine that, especially in that intense crowd. I think it's one thing that you mentioned he's a Mercury Lounge, which is uh, one of the first venues he played, you know, right. in New York. And I think that's uh, something that I think is so cool, in particular, in these that you've seen in the past couple of years. A lot of artists, uh, particularly returning to those venues. Ed Sheeran um, had a show. It may have been, maybe it was Mercury, wherever he, wherever he first played when he came stateside. You know, the same kind of environment. You know, just just a couple hundred fans um i mean alicia keys has done it in the past plenty of artists have but i think it's great you know that that they remember where they came from because they can of course they can always play the arenas and the stadiums but you can you can tell that they acknowledge and appreciate the intimacy of just a solid you know just 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 Solid crowd and singer connection. Yeah, and for people who don't necessarily know that venue or other venues in that area in the city, you you walk through. There's different venues like this. They they all have kind of a similar setup. You you literally walk through a bar to get to where the show is. So it's you don't feel like you're you're at a huge uh, arena. It, it feels so intimate that you just kind of oh there, there's a singer it just happens to be in the corner. It's it's a little bigger than that, but it it really feels intimate just from the moment you walk in that way. So you're at the show. He plays, obviously, Lay Me Down, some of the songs from the, from the first album. Right. Um, I'm sure he played the new single as well. Did he play anything else? Did he give yeah. any taste of the new album? He did. He did, uh, I think, I think four songs. Uh, there were new ones, and, and a little hard to tell the titles just from uh, hearing them live. But uh, another ballad called Midnight Train. Which uh, seemed to be called Midnight Train. Not the not the cover of Gladys. No, nope. we're all we're all hoping for. No, nope, but but it had a hook. I could tell uh, on the first play, so it sounded uh, sounded catchy. Uh, he did an up tempo song called One Last Song. That was pretty good. That was now catchy. That's like so when you say up tempo, because obviously he's had the, the song with the disclosure. And, and are they in that kind of mold, or do you think it's something a little sort of like uh, like I can? A single from from the first album. Okay, so yeah, mid tempo, up tempo. I mean, compared to some of the ballads that are so slow for Sam, anything with tempo is going to sound uh, pretty up tempo. Right, but but it did. Um, a ballad called "Burning," 
uh, and then Too Good uh, at Goodbyes. He did at the end. And again, people were singing along to that as well. People seem to know the song already. Uh, whole sing along for for stay with me some of the hits uh people people knew uh these songs so well so uh it was just it really felt like you just really got that sense that he was uh, so happy that people uh these songs still uh, meant so much to everyone even you know three years after the album release uh, did a cover did a cover of alicia keys try sleeping with a broken heart which was really good really yeah really interesting worked. yeah choice Stick to the original kind of arrangement, and, he, and yeah, he, he did. But it, uh, sort of thinking at first, why is he doing that? And then, uh, like the clue is the clue is right in the lyric, a broken heart. That's that's Sam Smith lyrical territory. So he said that uh, he, he needed time away uh, to spend time with with his family, just to kind of get out of the the craziness that that he found himself in in the spotlight. Uh, but also to to get new stories, new stories of heartbreak. So he said, "You you won't be disappointed. His his love life is still still going badly. So he's still he'll still have plenty <laughs> of new stories uh, for us." Uh, so he, he was joking about that. Um, so yeah, it was a really good show, and that's what the voice sounds like. There's if they're putting any effect on it, you couldn't tell from that show. He hits those high notes. It, it's just it's just amazing. As as always seems to be the case when you have that huge first album. There's always the, the dreaded, you know, sophomore sophomore jinx uh, that people will talk about around the corner. Sam Smith coming up on his sophomore album. Uh, I think we should try and dive into, you know, what do we think about Sam's chances of avoiding the sophomore jinx? Obviously off to a strong start right. with the with the number five debut. Um, but what kind of legs do we think that the album may have? Well, we figure one way to look at it is to look uh, at what he did on the first album and, and compare that to other acts. Uh, so he had three top tens from uh, his debut album. Stay With Me hit number two, uh, I'm the Only One, number five, and uh, Lay Me Down, we just mentioned, number eight. So what we're looking at, who else has notched three top tens from a debut album? Well, let's keep it to this decade, uh, sort of uh, comparable. So we looked at how they did uh, first time out, and then on their follow-ups, uh, again, one uh, case doesn't necessarily mean uh, it'll predict what Sam Smith uh, will do, but just uh, give uh, experience for, for other artists. Uh, so uh, Sam Smith is one of five artists this decade to have uh, at least three Hot 100 top tens from a debut album. So figure, let's look at the other four and see how they've done since. Uh, first artist to do that uh, in this decade was Kesha. Uh, first album in 2010 actually had four top tens. Uh, TikTok was the first single, number one for nine weeks. And then uh, she came back, I, I guess maybe not fully with her second studio album. So we say project for, for Kesha's second? Yeah, project should be maybe maybe a little asterisk with this special case because you know, this this album project series event uh came out later in 2010 um it wouldn't be her follow her actual like full length follow-up would be a couple years later but i mean it's still new kesha music it still had a different it wasn't something you could get on the debut album so i think we're okay with this one all right and uh, she did well with it so a number one hit for we are who we are and then a top 10 that was blow as well and if, if you do go to 2012 for her official second album uh, die young was number two hit so not really a, a, a sophomore jinx didn't didn't have four top tens like the first album but continued to be a presence in the top 10 and here we are now in 2017 she's in the top 40 with prank all right next artist in the 2000s uh, to have at least three top tens from a debut album on the hot 100 uh, bruno mars he had three so he actually uh, had a number one hit uh, nothing on you and then a billionaire before he even uh, had his own uh, songs as a lead artist, but then once once he did, once he came out with his own stuff, uh, just the way you are, number one, grenade number one, lazy song number four. So three top tens for Bruno. He came back uh, really uh, almost identically uh, with his uh, second album in 2012. Two more number ones, locked out of heaven, and when I was your man, and another top five, got to number five, treasure. 
Megan Trainer, uh, the fourth act of the 2010s, with three top tens on the Hot 100 from her debut album, uh, All About That Bass, number one, Lips Moving, number four, and then uh, Like I'm Gonna Lose You with uh, John Legend, number eight. So uh, Megan, same thing. She came back, uh, hit the top ten from her second album, uh, lead single, No, got to number three. And the fifth act, sort of, we can't quite tell yet because there hasn't been uh, the next album yet. But uh, the other I one. I think people are, I, I would love, I mean, because, you know, Kesha and Bruno, right. Megan, you know, pretty safe bets if you had to think about, you know, who would be in this camp of artists with these three top tens from this debut album. I do not think a lot of people are going to remember this one just because it was one of those instances where it was like so hot for a moment. And then it kind of just, you know. We have, like I said, we haven't, we haven't seen much of this guy since. So, uh, in any case, it is Fetty Wap. A couple years later, yes, now. Yes, Fetty. Twenty ruled yep. the summer twenty fifteen out of nowhere. So, uh, Trap Queen hit number two on the Hot One Hundred, and he had uh, two other top tens, uh, My Way and Six Seven Nine. So, uh, we just haven't uh, gotten new music yet. So, so far, you look at everyone on this list uh, up uh, to Fetty Wap, uh, Kesha, Bruno Mars, Megan Trainer, and Sam Smith. They've all followed up. Debut albums with three top tens, at least, on the Hot 100, with new top ten hits from their second album. So Sam uh, continues that, and if Fetty Wap uh, can do that too, uh, all five of them will have done that, at least by that measure. Uh, no sophomore jinx for, for any of those artists. Yeah, they picked up right where they left off. And it'll be interesting to see again with, with Sam. Um, one thing I know that probably people will be wondering if this will be the album that gets him a number one hit. You know, he's had number two with Stay With Me. Um, obviously a lot more, you know, attention, momentum behind him this time. So that certainly seems like something that I think uh, his fans most certainly and probably the label would like to make a push for with this next album. Oh, there's one other thing uh, from the show I saw last week that I have to mention. Uh, Sam Smith did this thing that uh, it's it's sort of always my favorite part of a concert. Always gets to me when this happens. Uh, when, when an artist tells a story very slowly and dramatically over music, over an intro of a song. And you, oh, they're, they're doing the intro. I and know, it's, they, it's so, they bust out at like it, you know it, some big ballad. It, or it, it's so cheesy, but but they're they're doing the uh, the story, and it just when they do, it, they could be saying anything, and it sounds like the most important dramatic thing anyone has ever said. If you just put that slow music bed underneath it, it it's just everyone is is totally uh, mesmerized by what they're saying. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's almost like those viral clips now where like um, people underscore dramatic moments, usually playing "My Heart Will Go On." And the big, you know, the big, you know, like the the, the major chorus that Celine sings at the end, right. and it, you know, whether it's um, you know, like like a, like a like the end of a basketball game or or you know, animals reuniting with their owners, or whatever. It just like you know, underscores like that moment makes it that much gives it that much more weight to it. I, I've, I've never so heard funny. it not work. It just it always you could be. Let's try it now, Trevor. Say say <laughs> the most basic thing. We'll put some music under it. Let's see how dramatic it sounds. Uh oh. I, well, I got to get a topic. There's a water bottle in front of you. Do something dramatic about a water There's bottle. There's a water bottle. Oh, gosh. This is tough. Um, right, here's the music. So I was at the park uh, the other day, and I, I had an empty water bottle, and I, I went to fill it up. And they had this sign that said, Filtered Water. So there I was. I stuck the water bottle under the filter, got the water, drank it. It made my stomach hurt pretty badly, like instantly. And uh, 
pour it out. I'm beginning to think they give artists training on how to do this. Maybe it's not as easy. <laughs> as oh, God. You know, it was a bad topic. We'll go with that. It was a, it was a poor a water bottle, Gary. Give me something. Give me but, some, I gotta get some. Give some more real. I've never heard an artist blame the audience request when the performance goes bad. Yeah, I'm sure that. Yeah, well, I'm sure they don't requ- well, request something. I know. Yeah. All right, moving on here on the Billboard Charpy Podcast. That's a clip of Ray Lynn and Love Triangle, a recent uh, top 40 hit on the Billboard Hot Country Songs chart for Ray Lynn uh, from her uh, number one album uh, on the Billboard uh, Top Country Albums chart. So uh, she's our special guest this week here, our industry insider interview on the Billboard Charpy Podcast, along with uh, the CEO of Warner Music Nashville, John Esposito. So uh, sat down recently, chatted with Billboard's senior chart manager, Jim Asker, about a lot of different things. The start of her career, she was on The Voice, how she transitioned over to a Warner Brothers, how she was a writer at first. And then uh, you'll hear, really had a vision for her own uh, album and a long time in the making, but uh, really well worth it, uh, hitting number one. And uh, again, uh, we mentioned earlier, talking about uh, the topic of women at country, how uh, it's very male-dominated in recent years. So uh, John and Ray Lynn both uh, talk about that and a lot more coming up here. So uh, Jim Asker with Ray Lynn and John Esposito on the Billboard Choppy Podcast. Really thankful that you guys are here today. Thank you for having us. First of all, to get you both in the same room. Hey, it's fun. It took a second. She's touring enough and busy with other things (laughs) she's doing. I don't get to see her enough. It's a lot of texting relationship. Yes. It's always fun when I get to hang with Ray. And and I'd like to just go back to the beginning for a second and how this yeah. relationship started. I know, Rylan, that you were on another label after, mm-hmm. after The Voice. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And so, and you sang on a Blake Shelton song. Mm-hmm. Um, Always had a pretty good relationship, a great relationship with Warner. I was on The Voice, you know, when I was 17. and But before The Voice... The very first place that I wrote at was Warner Chapel. And I've always been in and out of the Warner building for different reasons. And, of course, being like Blake's family, knowing him, I've been around Espo and Scott and Chris Lacey and a lot of the amazing people at Warner. So it was just with 
when I was switching labels, it was definitely one of the places that I knew I had to take a meeting because I just love everybody there. Oh, it's really nice. Yeah. So, but when you when you did the the, the background vocals on, mm-hmm. on on the Blake Shelton song "Boys Around Here," is that how you guys started working together? Or it just happened before that. And well, it it I guess you could say that we worked together. Yes, right? on that. But we've been hanging out backstage at the Voice. Uh, um, since I was 17. Since you were 17. <laughs> so we we knew Ray well before that song was recorded, you know, from the label side. And uh, and through Blake. And, I mean, I know yeah, Blake yeah, through Blake. things. And, and, yeah, and, yeah. and it was really Blake's idea that when he was doing the cool vocals on that, that he had to have Ray on that. And we were celebrating that. We thought it was fantastic. For the listeners who don't know, can you give us a quick little snapshot of how you got here? to Warner Music Nashville and steering this ship really quick just so everybody knows yeah and I'd rather hear Ray talk but I'll tell you that uh, <laughs> uh, you know I've never met a microphone I didn't like um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I've been with Warner Music Group for 15 years officially 15 years in about two weeks that's amazing and uh, I started off as the president of their distribution company WIA which I did for about seven years before they asked me to move to Nashville but before that, I helped put together Island Mercury and Def Jam Records to create the Island Def Jam Music Group label group. And uh, that's where I got my taste of label life. And and as part of it, we were promoting Shania Twain Records. We were the, the, uh, the crossover promotion team for any of Luke Lewis's stuff. So I found every excuse to come to Nashville I could. And then every, I made it crystal clear. Yeah, and any, I love this town. For anybody who doesn't know, Luke was president at Mercury at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so much success here that um, Blake Shelton, Hunter Hayes, Brett Eldridge has just got a fantastic new album so, out. Yeah, so awesome. And how is your dated? What is your day to day work relationship like? The two of you, Raylan. Well, I think one of the most amazing things about Warner is the family vibe of this label and. There's nobody is untouchable at this label, and I think that that's what makes Warner so special is everybody gets on board when you get excited about something. And I've always been more of a unique artist, and I've always written a certain way, and it's a little different. It's a little left to center, and it's amazing to be in a creative space that lets me do what I do, and they champion it. Your debut Warner album, Wild Horse, how did that come together? Did you guys talk about it from the beginning stages? And a lot of people don't know. I mean, you, you have this great album that debuts at number one on the charts, but how much time goes into working on that record? I spent five years on my first record, and I knew exactly what I wanted on this record. And the cool thing is when I came into Warner, I had most of it done. I had half of the record done. And... I basically said, here's the vision, what do you think about it? And they were all about it. And it's it was it's, it was pretty amazing because there was no selling of, please, you know, figure this out or is this right? They knew that it was right and they just went with it because they knew it was me. I, I was at the little showcase downtown when you, was that a reenactment of the signing you did or... Yeah, remember? I actually, I, kinda, I actually really did sign it there. Yeah, <laughs> it was, did you? Yeah. <laughs> was that the actual signing? I, yeah. I suppose you just seemed so happy that night. Well, I listen. I, I was insanely happy. You know, um, we loved Ray from a distance, but you know, we don't 
poach artists, you know. Mm-hmm. And when the word got to us that she was available, we were thrilled that she wanted to take a meeting with us. And we were, you know, excited that the conversations were going really well. And I, you know, I have a motto for our, our label, um, um, which is A&R runs the company, right? My job is to help create the family atmosphere, which I'm really proud of. I love the culture that we have there. But it all starts, my A&R team has to be hook, line, and sinker in. They have to be unequivocal. They love the artist, and they love the body of work. And Scott Hendricks, in this case, because this was his uh, project to bring to me, um, um, this artist to bring to me, and he he was not just raising his hands, and anybody who... uh, no, Scott knows the Oki is not the most excitable boy. Uh, you know, it takes, he's, he's amazing, but it's not like he's – I'm the cheerleader. I've got the pom-pom. Mm-hmm. He walks in and I go, this is really good. Yeah. When you get that from him, cool. Let's talk about it some more. So there was such passion uh, from Scott. We sent it around the building, which is what we do. Look, we are interested in signing this, this, this lovely artist. And everybody knew her anyhow because um, she was a known – uh, quantity in town, right? And then everybody starts getting their pom-poms out, and it's like, okay, now we have to have this artist. So the enthusiasm you felt that night at the signing party um, was, was genuine real. from the yeah. whole crew. And we knew that she already had the record, right? I mean, the yes. album. You know, we knew that we had several single choices. Yeah, right? when you introduced it that night, you said this is a life-changing record. Just the lyrics that just affect anybody in your own life and make you think about your own that that's a testament of a great writer i think that you write this story and that everybody can relate to it and i think what makes love triangle so special is it was one of those records i wrote it when i was 18 years old 5 mm. years ago and that song opened up so many doors for me in this town right i remember right after i wrote that song I was able to ride with Natalie Hemby and Shane McAnally and Brad Tercy and Sarah Buxton, like some of the greatest writers in Nashville because they heard this record. And it just opened so many doors for me and it became kind of a, a kind of, I call it a music row favorite. And it was, and everybody would always ask me, why don't you put out Love Triangle? Why don't you put out Love Triangle? And it just, it never, and it just never happened. So I, to be able to be at Warner and them champ- want to champion this song to be the first single and take a risk on it, I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. And it's really cool to see what it did. So um, was it an automatic pick? Everybody was just like, oh. let's go oh, yeah. with the oh, no, oh, yeah. no second, you know, at that point. Unequivocal, you know. And, and I'm very proud of what that song did. It helped be the catalyst to deliver a number one record. Let's be clear. Um, and it has some extraordinary stats in terms of that song. Uh, this may be boring to the uh, listeners a little bit, but we we judge ourselves by chart position for sure. But one of the things that really matters is consumption, they call it. Yeah. And consumption is how many streams, how many sales um, um, do you have, how many um, YouTube views or, or Vivo uh uh, views, and when you put them all together, that song was consistently from the outset, the entire time we worked at a top ten uh, consumption, beating records that made it to number one, and it was many weeks the number five or higher consumption. And you know, uh, that's all, that can be the frustrating thing because the most frustrating word 
from radio people is room, right? Um, but I'm proud of it, uh, and and I'm I'm proud to watch how people react at every show that Ray plays that song, and it still lives on in the streaming world. I think that song will just far outlive its chart position and. Our Hot Country Songs Chart at Billboard is our consumption chart yeah. of streaming um, sales and airplay. Um, and it's just about how it's changing every day and how people are consuming music. Radio is, of course, still very, very important. Um, I want to know for a second, though, when that album debuted at number one on our um, Top Country Albums Chart, what, what was that like after working on it for so long? For me... I just couldn't believe that it was real, and it was like seeing all your, honestly, all my hard work pay off. I mean, I spent five years perfecting this record and praying that every fan that I met after show, so after every show, I go out to my merch booth, and I'll meet every fan. If it takes me an hour, it takes me an hour. If it takes me two hours, it takes me two hours. But every fan will come up to you, and they're like, when's your record coming out? I'm going to get it. I mean, I promise I am. And you pray all those little seeds that you plant will grow into something amazing. And and so throughout all of those years of being on the road, five years, I was just hoping when my record came out that they were really going to do what they said and, and get this music that I've spent so much time on. And they showed up. I mean, I just can't even... God Made Girls is my first single, but it wasn't on my record. And it wasn't, you know, a top 15 hit. And then... You know, I had four boy, and that song did okay, but it wasn't on the record. So this record was brand spanking new, all new music. And so that was a little nerve-wracking to put out. But the fans showed up, and they absorbed every lyric, and they were there for me. And to see that was amazing. And to also see have that success at such an amazing place like Warner and have them jump on board so fast and not make me wait to put out the music and they were just so excited about it to be able to celebrate it together i know was just awesome like it just was a full circle so moment great. for me well congratulations thank you what was it like for you espo well we of course celebrate any number one record <laughs> but a huge part of what uh, um i guess you know the emotional part of it was i knew she had waited five years to have people here a body of work and I definitely wanted us to be the label that made the statement that here's a body of work. You know, the, the paradigm of the record business has been for years, you release a song to terrestrial radio. You hope it works well enough that it gives you a justification to put an album out. You know, uh, if it doesn't get to number one, you, you release another song. And the fans have heard two songs, right? I mean, this has been years. The, the, the wonderful new world we're in uh, is we can expose more music. And, you know, just when I rattled off some of those consumption numbers, it told us that fans wanted to know her more. And it wasn't fair to fans to have it be, okay, it's only um, the first two singles she mentioned from her prior label and Love Triangle. It was time for them to hear more music and get to know her. That's the artist development process. That's what we live for, mm -hmm. right? And we know we have a very long road ahead uh, um, and a very great road ahead 
with uh, Ray, but we have to start somewhere, and that's by giving them that. The fact that they came out and said it's a, worth buying to make it a number right. one record was only more gratifying. What I love about it, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, what, what I love about it is that um, I'm a fan of albums, having grown up with you know the great albums of our era. It's a cohesive album, Thank and you. I really love that. And you wrote 11 of the 12 songs, true artistry. So congratulations on it landing at number one. It was Thank the you. first um, solo female number one since Hero by Maren Morris. It's a long time in between females. So I think the more women that are out there with successful music, the be- better it is for everyone. You know? oh, I agree with you 100%. And I, that was my goal with this record. I just wanted it to be a body of work from right when you started, the very first song, Your Heart, to Praying for Rin. I wanted you to go on a journey with me and see where my heart's been in the last five years. And I feel like you can see that and you can feel that. And every it's awesome because like, I haven't really listened to my record a lot in the last month, I guess you could say, but I was in the car and I was doing a little road trip and I just listened to it from the front to back again. Mm-hmm. And I was just so impressed with it. I was just... That's what I wanted. I wanted everything to be super, super strategic on how we placed it. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so proud that it's my debut record. Mm. And I, I want to make a comment on on your comment, Jim, that uh, she wrote all but one of the songs. Ray is an amazing writer. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff people haven't heard is exciting. Uh, what's ahead? But I think one of the greatest signs um, for an artist who... Who, who gets it, but also wants it, is to say, and look, I found this song, and it's I have nothing to do with it, but I want to record this, because some can't let their ego get in the way, right? And, and you know, um, I it was a proud moment in the building when she shared that. I mean, she's an emailer of songs. Hey, guys, what do you think? <laughs> and I heard the apple, and I said, wow, when did you write that? Oh, I had nothing to do with it. But it's mine. <laughs> but it's mine. That's really fun for uh, people in our position. Because then you know she wants to win by giving them the best thing that tells her story. And sometimes, I mean, look at Blake Shelton. I, I think maybe over the course yeah. of 11 records, he's written maybe three songs. I don't think any of them were singles, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the best song should win. She just happens to be able to write um, 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 amazingly well. And Love Triangle you know, like I said, it's going to outlive its chart position. I wasn't at the Little Big Town show when you um, went on stage with yes. them, but a good friend of mine texted me really early the next morning and just started blasting me about repeating what she said <laughs> and and agreeing with it, who is also an ex-radio person. Um, and can you just tell us about that moment? It had to be, like, vindication a little bit for you? It was. I, first of all, adore Karen and Kimberly and just everybody in Little Big Town. They're just all such incredible people. So they're playing the rhyme and you come up on stage. Yes, I, I so I opened up for them. If whoever doesn't know, I opened up for them at their rhyme and right. residency. And it was funny because during my set, I didn't sing Love Triangle. And you could tell the fans were kind of surprised. They're like, why the heck isn't she singing Love Triangle? And then I came back out and did it with Little Big Town. And after I sang it, Karen basically was talking about radio and how the song didn't go number one but it should have and um and of course it was like it was just i didn't and the, i didn't ask her to say anything i didn't even know that she would and i was just like well go get him karen like it was just 
I mean, she's she's an amazing, amazing person, and I thought that was really sweet. And what did she say? She basically just said that there's no denying that it's hard for females out there, and listen to all of you guys singing this song, and this song you know, should have went number one, and that's basically what she said. I wrote a, a story for Billboard um, just recently surrounded around the Billboard power issue, mm-hmm. which I suppose one of our super-duper power players. and um, Super-duper? <laughs> Holy cow! I got super. an upgrade! <laughs> and anyway, they wanted me to write a rundown of how we did um, with women um, a year later after the Tomato Gate um, and all of that chatter. Um, somebody comparing female artists to tomatoes on salad. I love tomatoes. Um, and, You're very good. And it all started after that. And how did we do? And it was a little better from year to date, but not much. And as I looked at the chart when I interviewed Marin a couple, um, a little while ago, there were three women in the top 30 of the airplay chart. When I came in this morning with you guys, there were two in the top 30, two solo females out of 30 songs. What does it, what does it say to you, both of you? Just honest opinions. My honest opinion is you can talk about change all the time, but unless you do something, it's just talk. And I think that there, there's got to be a change because women are putting out incredible music right now. And the streaming shows it. I mean, my new song, Love Triangle, no, my new song, Lonely Call, you know, hasn't charted yet, but it has almost 5 million streams like it's just it's crazy to me and I, but I'm not the only one so many females are are having this problem and it's just something still to talk about I mean that's when I see that it just makes me sad because it's ridiculous in my opinion Espo? Well I don't think I could say it any better than that honestly you know and I'm not worried about walking on any eggshells it's it's uh, you know a uh, 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 part of the uh, the problem, from my estimation, is you have consolidation at radio that continues to make programmers um, looking over their shoulders, a vast yes. majority of them. So um, they go to the safe because, you know, sadly, a lot of them, the the music business in, in my now nearly three decades of the music business, I've watched tens of thousands of people get fired from record labels because of uh, the decimation of record stores and, 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 you know, Napster starting a thing that I don't want to get philosophical about all of that, but it is a reality. And I'm watching the same thing that has happened in, in radio. And, and so what ends up happening is established superstars today happen to be a bunch of guys and they get a green card every time they put a new song out. Thank mm-hmm. God Blake does and Brett does and Cole in, in our yeah. case, right? But all of a sudden, a massive chunk of the spins that are available are eaten up by the top 15 that are the same safe bets. A lot of great music from the safe, safe bets. Mm-hmm. It's hard for any new artist to break yeah. in. Yeah, and then it just it, it causes a problem. I don't think that people are consciously not all of them, not many of them consciously saying, well, it's a female and my audience doesn't want to hear females. I think it's tough for any artist. And unfortunately, that has created a real tough space for the development of female in mm, particular. I agree with you, you know, when Carrie comes back, she's going to get the same greed card when she puts her new record out. You know, and Miranda will continue to get it. So there'll be more than two or three. Um, but uh, 
Um, I don't know when the cycle gets broken in terms of people. I think I think that uh, you know it, 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 I I know one of the things you wanted to talk about eventually, and I I. I We'll tee it up, but I can talk about it more in depth lately. But streaming has changed the world. It's the first time the music business has grown in 15 years. Well, you know, we talked about um, Little Big Town, their song Girl Crush on our Hot Country Songs chart, the consumption chart of of the combination Mm -hmm. of streaming sales and airplay. It was number one for a group of three people or more. It was the first 10-week number one since the Browns, Three Bells. How about it? So it never made it to number one on our airplay chart. And we want terrestrial radio. We want it. That's the when you got the bad mamma jamma, you got both of happening. Course. But people are going to start <laughs> the going bad mamma jamma. Bad mamma, and it's my <laughs> island deaf jam days probably coming up. Uh, you know and, and a long time ago, when you would go on radio tour, a lot of I mean, I still have so many amazing people that wave the Raylan flag at radio. Like I have, I've met so many, I've done three radio tours. There are a lot I've, of programmers who believed in it yes, and supported it. And they do. But I think I agree with Espo They're They have a lot of people. I mean, they have bosses, they have people that they have to please too. And I think it's a hard place to be in, to be able to want to pour into a new artist, but also make your listeners happy. And I mean, I, I honestly, my heart goes out to them because I know that it's hard. Here's the thing. Um, it's not a new thought. Uh, you know, I started programming radio, which I did before. Uh, I was a programmer for a long time, and my first gig was when I was like 24 years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember a consultant say, you don't play two female songs back-to-back. You don't have two female announcers back-to-back because women don't like whis- listening to women. And and we'd be like, who says that? Okay. Listeners don't okay. ever say anything like that. So it's been going on for a But we were rebellious back then. And you could only own 12 radio stations. Yeah. So we knew if we got, you know, if I, I was telling Carrie, your manager, I was, as a PD, I was always like, if I'm going down with the ship, I'm going to make the decision. So yeah, of course. And now there's just so many people. And it's funny that they say that about women. Women don't want to hear other women. I'm sorry. At my show at the Mercy Lounge in Nashville that was sold out, 80% of the people <laughs> at my concert uh, were women. Uh, so I would have to really disagree with that. Of course, my fan base is very there's a lot of variety it's very different but most of them are women and young girls you're all alone and you're thinking about me i used to be your 6 a.m hey good morning beautiful how you been i used to be a widget's land this you can't stand see you this weekend now i'm just a midnight number familiar voice when you start to wonder if you made the wrong choice so Your new song, Lonely Call. It's a great song. Thank you. Thank you. You wrote that as well? Yes, I wrote Lonely Call. I wrote it when I was 18. It's always been one of Blake's favorites. You wrote that one when you were 18? 18 or 19. I can't remember. I was a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I'm 23. So I I think I was 18 or 19. And for anybody who hasn't heard the song, tell us about it. So I wrote that. uh, I moved to Nashville when I was right after The Voice and... Me and my husband were dating for about eight months. Is he we, an artist? No, he's not. He's in okay. the army. He's he's totally different uh, job than me. But we dated for about eight months, and then we broke up for two years, and we got back together. Long story short, in that time that we were broken up, um, 
I mean, anybody can say that when you first break up with somebody, it's hard because they're the first person that you text when you wake up. They're the first person that you text when you go to bed or call. And so we were each other's lonely call. And I was just like, hey, if we're going to break this off, we've got to cut this, you know, cold turkey. We can't talk. (laughs) I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm not going to be your lonely call. You can't be my lonely call. So I actually wrote it about my husband. (laughs) But clearly it worked out, which is awesome. (laughs) And it's starting out great, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We have, uh, we've got a lot of fans. We... We, you know, it. There was a day. Um, I'm. Do- I feel like I'm doing my music education program or my radio uh, programming education. But there was a day when uh, records uh, would chart after two or three weeks, you know, and some four or five. It. It's. It's really harder, especially for still developing artists, for that to happen. But. Like Ray said, we're we're actually over five million streams on this record. We're getting um, a a um, reaction that you know tells us keep keep the fight. You know, and 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 it, it had a big week at radio. By the way, I do the airplay chart, and it was right underneath the chart with yep, a, a huge percentage up from last week. Yeah. Yep. So um, um, I didn't mean the percentage, what we call new and active. Uh, that, that was something one of my old bosses was like a validation exclamation point. 100%. Uh, <laughs> not the percentage that it was up. But, yeah. Um, um, and it's a brilliant song. I'll tell you a funny story about it. Um, now, who picked this one as a single? Real well, you know, fans. That, there you go. But I think Blake Shelton had something to do with it, The fans it too. and Blake Shelton. Well, Blake is a fan, so that counts. <laughs> Blake is a fan. I get a text from Blake out of the blue. Uh, I guess, whatever, three months ago. And he goes... Don't tell me you're going to screw it up and not pick Lonely Call. <laughs> Something to that effect, right? <laughs> when you're Blake, and, you can and, say that, right? And, and uh, Yeah, but he and I, I mean, if you read some of our texts, they would definitely make his tweets seem like they were tame, <laughs> um, right? Uh, but uh, I said, hey, listen, it's on the short list. He goes, okay, cool. You, you, you guys don't screw it up. And he may not have used the word screw um, 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 and when he said that. And so I came back to Scott Hendricks and I said, well... I love it, and Scott goes, I love it. The artist always wins, just so you're clear. The the process is usually we've narrowed it down to two or three. Well, and it's funny because I got a random text from Scott. He goes, hey, can I jump on the phone with you for a second? And I said, cool. And he calls me. He's like, what do you think about Lonely Call being the next single? And I said, done. Like, And I said, <laughs> and I was like, is this, is this going to be our system? Because I love it. Is there, are we going to agree this well? Agree to disagree? Like, it, it honestly just worked. And... I remember doing like a little poll on my Instagram and I said, hey, what song do you want to be the next single? We did a little chart. Lonely Call was like oh, way yeah. out past yeah. anything else. Yeah. And being on the road too, I just did my first headlining tour this year called The Rave Tour. And they sing Lonely Call just as loud as they sing Love Triangle, just as louder than they sing God Made Girls. It is by far a fan favorite. That's great. Are you visiting radio stations right now? Or? Oh, of course. I'm always... I love, I've built so many incredible relationships with radio. I've been, I mean, I've known them. They've got to watch me grow up. I have started this whole journey since I was 18 years old. And so I love to do, um, I mean, I just got done with a radio show yesterday in Orlando. And any way that I can get involved, I, I love to. I mean, that's, I think that's what why it is hard to some extent because I am, so accessible to them and i am always wanting to do things for radio and i know the label's on a mission 
Uh, I talked to Kristen, your head of promotion, <laughs> before Kristen Williams, before um, I started the interview, and I know she's really high on it. Um, she's amazing. And by the way, you were the first label to add streaming onto their titles. This is the first time I've seen you to talk to you since then. So um, how did that come about, and what does that mean, basically? So are they calling, on top of calling radio, that they call Spotify? and It might have started on a beach in Nantucket um, with a beer in my hand. <laughs> and I had an epiphany. Um, and that was that uh, um, the world of streaming was coming on um, resoundingly. And uh, um, we have, at the average record label, probably 50% of our overhead has gone to the staff that goes to radio, mm -hmm. terrestrial radio, right? right? And um, streaming has come on so quickly, we only had a few people who were involved in it. And I said, I've got these people whose job every day of the week it is, is to go and convince radio programmers to add something to their playlist. Why would I not tap into those resources and therefore expand our team? Full commitment still to the terrestrial radio team but expand um, 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 the size of what was our uh, approach to the streaming companies with with some more people from that. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I will tell you that unequivocally it's been um, a win for us. And it, it has benefited in so many ways um, because the exchange of information that now flows from streaming stats to arm our regionals at radio with data that is compelling and understandable so that we can um, um, have a better shot at getting space on the terrestrial radio. It's gone back and, and for both. And it has excited the radio team because they see that that's a, a massive future and that they want to be part of the new world. So, you know, here we are um, a year and uh, it'll be a year uh, next month into it and it's it's I'm really proud that we did it and it is working that's awesome I wanted to ask a personal question before yeah. we wrap up I, I know that um, in in my personal life I'm a cancer survivor and I'm proud of that and Espo knows because he gives me donations every time I run a, ma a marathon and it's party part of my life and yeah. how I could help other people with it and um, and you deal with diabetes and mm -hmm. you share that personally what is that like? Is what kind of challenges does it make for you when you're on the road, especially? And then it must be great to help be able to help other people that come up to you and talk to you about it. It's been really cool to be more involved in the diabetes community, especially in the last five years. And it's funny because it's just it's like it's like you said, like when you deal with it, it's just a part of your life. Like diabetes is a part of my life. It's been a part of my life since I was twelve. And I don't really talk about it because it's just something I deal with every day. But a couple years ago, I was pulling out um, my stuff to take a shot before I ate to take, you know, my insulin. And a fan came up to me and they were like, I didn't know you had type 1 diabetes. And she was like, oh, my gosh, you're even more my idol. And, and something about that was just like, why don't I talk about this? Like, this is something that I deal with every day. And so many fans can I, – because I remember when I was – when I first found out I had type 1 diabetes, I thought that my world was over. And I was like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Like, is, you know, 
I'm, is it gonna be weird when I go on a date and I have to take a you know an insulin shot in front of a guy? Like it was just I had all these like insecurities, but I overcame them um, because I found you know what I wanted to do and I wasn't gonna let diabetes stop me. So it's funny because I when she came up to me, that little girl, it just completely changed my my mindset on 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 just talking about it more and being more active of, about how I you know I'm always just talking about me being involved with it and so since then I'm now an ambassador for Nova Nordis the insulin that I take mm-hmm. but it's I mean it has its ups and its downs it's like some days I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning to catch a 5 a.m. flight and some days I get to sleep until 11 o'clock in the afternoon but I think it's about the main thing with diabetes is keeping everybody around you aware of of what your you know your sugar levels are and I have to have a really balanced diet with protein and um, can have a lot of carbs can have a lot of sugar and so in some places when all you have is a McDonald's and a Walmart to eat that can be hard but you Mm. just have to figure it out but um, but that's all about having the right people around you and having like my tour manager knows what kind of things I want to eat and what kind of things to look for so she'll look prior to if I'm going to a city and there might not be great food options, she's like, how about you pack some snacks for this trip just in case you don't find something that you can eat. But it's been it's been a pretty amazing thing in the last couple of years to meet fans of mine that have type 1 diabetes and I'm signing their insulin pumps and I'm able to be a voice for them because I know how it feels when you first get diagnosed and how scary it can be. And even for the people that you don't meet who watch you go through it, I think you are you you motivate them and inspire them. And I, I just commend you for talking Thank about you. it. Thank you. Thank um, you. Because people do get lost in their own little mm-hmm. world, and they don't have anybody to talk and to. They so. did, and they don't mean to. It's it's not like it's not like I didn't want to talk about the fact that I had diabetes or I was ashamed of it. It's just something that I have, you know. And mm-hmm. so. Well, you look great, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. You're so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, really quick before we go, last great song you listened to, Espo, that people would be surprised about. I'm going to ask each of you. Oh boy, people would be surprised about. Yeah, something that would say, "Oh wow." Uh, okay, Lindsey Buckingham with Christine McVie. How about that? I'll go for the old fart version, right? <laughs> they have a, a duet album that has Mick Fleetwood and John McVie on drums, so it's effectively Fleetwood Mac, and it sounds like a throwback to uh, 1980. How about you? I would say the last song that really affected me, I mean, he's in our format. I just I love this song is Grave by Thomas Rhett. It's I, a great song. It's an amazing song and my husband's in the in the army, you know, and I hadn't seen him in twenty days. He was doing a um a training thing and I hadn't talked to him in forever and so when I heard that song I just started crying on the treadmill because I just missed him so much and uh it's a I think it's such an, a beautiful love song and so I would say that's the last song that, that really just song. hit me. I was like Dang. Dream duet partner alive or or gone? Oh, Dolly Parton for sure. (laughs) So easy to answer. (laughs) She's like my fairy godmother. I love her. I want I'll tell you the song that I've heard a million times that's surprising that I haven't killed anybody um, that, that plays it for me is Despacito because everybody thinks it sounds like my name so I'm Despacito. hearing Despacito. <laughs> I always start making it my own. I go, I really, really want a burrito. Is that? And some Doritos. It's, it's, it's ubiquitous, that's for sure. It's, it's so funny because like I was talking about my husband, he's been in a training and you know it's bad when he didn't even know that song when I saw him. I was like, if you heard this song, you now I go, oh, my gosh, you've got to get on the times. Um, it's This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you both being here. Thank you for having me. 
John Esposito, CEO, Chairman of Warner Music Nashville and the awesome Ray Lynn. Good luck to both of you in everything, and um, thank you so much. And good luck with the new single. I hope it's the number one smash. Thank you. And uh, thank you. Thanks. Ray's special to us. We appreciate this time. Once again, Ray Lynn, uh, the song God Made Girls, which was a top 10 hit on the Hot Country Songs chart here. Our thanks to her and John Esposito and, of course, Jim Asker as well for taking the time to speak with us. Now, our flashback portion, uh, which I guess kind of oddly enough, our flashback is really based on really, really current events. So we're, we're going to kind of flashback a couple of days and kind of weird because we're taping this on Tuesday. So hopefully, I guess in a way, hopefully this isn't still in the news on on, on Thursday. But kind of hope it isn't. If, but we think it might. Yeah, be. but if, I mean, the journalist in me kind of needs it to be, but the the human in me kind of hopes it's not. Uh, okay, we'll stop giving some mixed signals here. But we're talking about uh, the one and only President Donald Trump this week, uh, talking about Kim Jong Un of North Korea and calling him "quote unquote" Rocket Man. That's his, that's his nickname for him. So, uh, of course, that has sparked many discussions on social media and a lot of people uh, tagging our friend Elton John, who, of course, has a huge hit single by that name. So we thought, given the given the sudden boost in Rocket Man's popularity this week, a great time to revisit one of Elton's classic hits on the Hot 100. So, Rocket Man, a song from 1972, eventually hitting number six on the Hot 100. And one thing I thought was kind of funny, just in terms of a chart perspective, it's it's kind of funny how song trajectories uh, happened back then. I mean, the song's only on the chart for 15 weeks, and four weeks after it hits number six, it's gone. Right. I mean, that's just how quickly the chart kind of turned over back in the day. Um, so, once you were, once you were a hit, you know, you got out of the way for the next one. And Elton had uh, so many singles, uh, just one after another, that he would be moving on to the next one anyway. And uh, by the time he was done with one, he he had another hit. So that pattern just kept repeating. Yeah, I mean, we're talking, I mean, from 1970 all the way till, I guess, kind of fittingly, 1999, the end of end of the century, into that that era. Um, and I mean, through all the things that have happened, you when you think about music history in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s from whether it's singer-songwriters to Michael Jackson and Madonna and, you know, Mariah Carey, Boyz II Men, Whitney, whatever. Elton John is riding that wave through all of those trends. I mean, through grunge, through disco, through... I mean, he's, he's not, you know, 
He's not necessarily adapting his sound, but no, he never really. But it still he never cuts through. He, he never did like a disco single or, or any, you know, a little rockier, and sometimes more the beginning of his career. But you could put uh, a song like uh, your song up against something like the one from 1992, and they could basically be off the same album. But also, uh, so Rocket Man, we'll turn our attention back to the song in the moment. Um, you know, a, f- a fun little song, in- interesting lyrics, I think, more than anything, because it's it's a song written about an astronaut who's who's going up on this journey but it's not really this this big hero celebration just kind of an you know an everyday this is his job he just got does what he's got to do you know lives life the way he's got to live it um in a weird way kind of an kind of an everyman song based on an on a non-everyman kind of job um some people saying you know of course it's written by uh bernie toppin who co-wrote really the majority of, of elton john's hits they're one of the the great lyric and music pairs uh in pop music history some people saying that it's kind of based off this david bowie song space oddity from 69 something that they they've kind of refuted over the years both recordings were produced by the same guy isn't that crazy yeah i mean which you know obviously there could be some some shared influences there as well but i think i think a song in particular that in, in all of the elton john catalog has aged particularly well i think it's one of those songs that you know people still to this day um love it you know sing it. it's a great sing-along song even in the 90s, um, one of the famous kind of uh, live performances happened in 98 when Jim Carrey came out on stage and performed the song with Elton. And I thought that was, that was even that clip is just still kind of funny to watch today that even then, 25 years after the song was recorded, so, so well known. And I think one of the versions people know, too, is the uh, the William Shatner uh the, the performance art version. It was uh, 1978. Uh, Bernie Toppin introduced it. Uh, it was, it was uh, I'm looking here at the Science Fiction Film Awards in 1978. So uh, where he does that uh, spoken word and kind of just Kind of like dramatic it, reading dramatic, of it. Yeah. yeah kind of like what we're talking about. With the, that's, see, that's, you're, you're no William Shatner, Trevor. Got a little more, got a little more flexibility in the voice, I guess. Uh, Family Guy uh, did a, a version based on on the, uh, the the Shatner version, so that's one of the it's sort of, one of the most parodied uh, uh, performances uh, at this point. But a lot of cover versions over the years. Uh, the uh, the uh, 1991 uh, tribute album Two Rooms had a really good version by Kate Bush. Yeah, Some people might know know that version. So really, just a uh, just kind of a staple of of rock music at this point. I was just kind of thinking as we're talking about this. You mentioned the Bowie version. Uh, Man was on the moon in 1969. Then we got uh, Space Oddity. Then we got this, uh, sort of in the mindset of of, of the the introspective singer songwriters in the late 60s, early 70s of where where Man was going. At this point, we started getting all these these space songs. Uh, yeah, I never thought about that. That's a good point, especially new frontiers to discover. And and you know what does that mean for for our humanity in a lot of ways? <laughs> I guess uh, unfortunately. That's going to be a, a pretty big topic, I think, in the next uh, couple of weeks and months as we see some of these, these effects of uh, geopolitics start to play out. Is Where, where, where is our humanity? Uh, what's, 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 in, what's in store for us, at least? My response to that is that Alvin and the Chipmunks covered the song as well in 1998. Let's just take it in that direction. <laughs> not, not quite sure what that says, but... Uh, Happy thoughts. We'll, we'll try to keep a positive positive outlook for it. All right. Well, we'll find out next week. It probably will have uh, sales or streaming gains at least. So we'll be covering that. We'll be tracking that. Yeah, I'll be sure to talk about uh, where that's going. And, of course, we'll keep our attention on the top of the chart to see if that race for number one does indeed heat up. Uh, Taylor holding strong right now. But as we mentioned at the top of the show, um, really a a trio of challengers coming along. And Cardi B at number two, 
logic at number three. And of course, the big question will be, are Post Malone and 21 Savage ready to crash the party with Rockstar? So a lot of action uh, looking forward to next week. And uh, speaking of Cardi B, uh, John McMahon from Atlantic Records uh, will be back on the podcast uh, to chat about her uh, just a huge uh, rise uh, on the various uh, pop and R&B charts. So we'll be talking about that. And uh, John was uh, here on the podcast back in the springtime. We're talking about uh, Ed Sheeran and uh, Bruno Mars. Uh, Cardi, we didn't mention Cardi B wasn't a thing back then. This is back in the springtime. We we hadn't heard of Cardi B yet. No, as, as an artist on the charts. Uh, uh, no, I mean, uh, no, I'm sure no one would, would have seen this this angle coming from her at all. And I mean, we t- I know we talked. He teased the Charlie Puth music also uh, way back when, right? And you know, by now we see that's holding strong in the top ten as well. So, so John was busy things. between podcast uh, appearances, he doing a pretty good job working some, working some new music. Yeah, so uh, that's coming up next week. Should we close with the chipmunks? Or got something else? Uh, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask you. I said, you know, we we mentioned that that sort of that chart stretch that Elton had from 1970 to 1999. I was gonna ask what your favorite uh, Elton top 40 hit was gonna be, and I do not believe the album that is the Chipmunks cover is gonna count. I mean, any it, you could literally any song. I mean, basically any song of Elton. You know, this, this this time of the year, it kind of re- like reminds me of of a, a hit that was uh, it was a big hit this time of the year back in 1989. Uh, number 13 hit, Healing Hands, really plays up his uh, piano playing. And that's when uh, pop songs could, could be so uh, driven by by up-tempo. You still hear uh, piano ballads slower, but pretty rare nowadays to hear a, a, an up-tempo pop hit that's so piano-driven. This is a perfect example of that. Do we have any, is it is, is any relation to healing the world, healing, helping? Maybe appropriate this uh, week? I was saying, look at what well, Elton is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to bring us back together and keep our humanity alive. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.